It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome to Discussion Tuesday. I'm here with Eric Ludi. Eric, it's good to see you. And I'm excited excited for the day. It's always good to see you, Nathan. And uh, have we landed a question, like an official description of the question we're going to have? Because I think we had like three options. <laughs> yeah, we were definitely, we have the concept that we, yeah. we, we really feel is important for everyone to know. But we were looking at some different options like, you know, why are we so afraid of weakness? Uh-huh. Or uh, I think the one I was personally leaning toward was this idea of, you know, what is heaven's greatest investment principle? Yeah. But whimsically, or maybe in a cheeky sense, <laughs> I did kind of like this idea of what is the hardest life principle for Eric? Yeah, because I think I muttered when we were putting this one together. <laughs> this has always been the hardest principle. I, you know, you can see the truth of something that doesn't make it easy. And there's, for whatever reason, this one, and I've preached on this many times, but every time I do, it's like deep conviction <laughs> as I'm going through it because I find myself pushing back on this one, knowing it is its truthfulness, but not really wanting to fully absorb it. It's a really interesting dynamic because I love truth. Yep. And yet this one really is hard from the hum- human side of Eric Ludi. So whether someone wants to listen to it from, you know, heaven's greatest investment principle uh-huh. or your greatest struggle uh, <laughs> with truth. I don't even know if it's my greatest struggle as much as I, 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 I there's part of me that wants to fight it. Uh, could, could you even explain what it is then? Yeah. It's, we oftentimes call it the puddle principle. And that again, we have placeholder names for a lot of things here at Ellerslie. So we say a, say a word and everyone's like, oh yeah, I know what that is. But you guys may not know what it is. And the puddle principle is something that came about. I, the first time I was sort of grappling with it uh, in my own life practically, because when you grow up in sort of a middle to upper middle class situation, you don't have a lot of need that you face. And so as a result, you never really break into an understanding of the depths of the kingdom of heaven, which is all based around need. And none of us are out to find need. You don't go to college to get needy or to become weak. (laughs) And everything in our culture is built to almost avoid God so that we don't need God. And yet everything in the kingdom of heaven seems to be set up to have us depend on God. So give us this day our daily bread. Well, how many of us actually are needing daily bread? Not very many in America. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't those that that do. But for most of us, we actually don't have a familiarity with the concept. And so in ministry, I've had a crash course on this. It's like there's so many ways I could have lived my life <laughs> that would have had so much more prosperity to them. But ministry is has built into its framework a dependency on God, which is part of its brilliance. Yeah. That God says, okay, if you're going to represent me, you need to live the way I need you to live. Well, God, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and I mean, there's these guys that have Learjets and, you know, they're making, you know, they're just raking in the millions a year. Why can't I be like that? Well, yeah, but that's not my kingdom. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but let, let, put, put that over here. If you really want to represent the king of kings, you need to have a dependence on him. And so the puddle principle, I remember I was starting my uh, my mower. I don't know why that's in the, in the story, but I, I remember I was pulling that uh, pull cord uh, on the mower and trying to start it. And I remember I looked over and there was my Montero sitting in the driveway. And this is, I'm going to say, 
15 years ago, okay? And I see it's balding tires. I knew they were balding, but tires, okay? When you have limited money, you don't want to spend money on tires. And then I had this other flash, and that's to Leslie's car, which was some minivan at the time. I don't remember what it was. And I remember thinking, balding tires. And that's a little more extreme because now we have a little baby uh, in there. Hudson was just a little one. And she's driving down the road with tires that aren't looking too good. You know, and I don't want those going out on her and blowing out. And, you know, what what could happen, right? And so I'm feeling this burden as a man, as a husband. But I'm also having this logical thing going through me like, okay, God, I don't have money. And so I'm talking to God. It's like, God, I would get new tires if I had the money. And then he asked sort of the question, well, don't you have money in your bank account right now? And I don't know what I had, but let's imagine that I had, you know, $750, right? And so I'm like, well, God, I have like $750, but I, I need that for something else, like my mortgage payments coming up or whatever. There's other things that are already demanding that money. And so, Eric, you're saying to me, you don't have the money. Like, well, okay, I have the money for tires, but it's already allocated. It's already, I need it for something else in the future. So what you're saying, Eric, is you do have the money. Well, no, not, not, not really. <laughs> you see, God had me pinned down where I have the money to get the tires. I know what the need is, but the reason I don't want to spend it is because it's my insurance policy. It's that which helps me care for other things. Can I let the tire, can't you give me a bonus amount for the tires? And here's the principle. It's like a little puddle and the puddle doesn't have a lot of water in it, but the amount you need is right there. And God has done this to me so many times. What I need is available to me. But if I drink that water or take from that water, I'm scared it won't replenish. And what I've recognized in my life with God is that when I spend the little I have in obedience to him, the puddle fills back up. I always make the sound bloop and it fills back up because there's an endless aquifer. Now, most of us wish the aquifer was in the visible territory instead of the invisible territory, but God purposely hides the aquifer of his resource, of his supply for us and allows us to see what we need and to trust him with that. And so as we are obedient with the little we have, and I went out and bought tires, which was a very hard thing for me to do, and guess what happened? Bloop, the puddle filled up. And in our, in my life personally, in our ministry, we have seen this principle so many times. All right, let's pay that. All right, let's do this. We know this is what we need to be doing to be upright, to be uh, walking in a godly fashion. Yep, let's take care of that. Eee, that's our last money. And yet, bloop, the puddle will always fill back up. It's an incredible picture, too, <clears throat> that you can see all throughout Christian history and through Scripture. I remember, you know, reading like uh, Brother Andrew or Reese Howells, who they were constantly living on this idea that, you know, the first ask yep. had had the reserve. In other words, whatever they, what little they had, if as they're walking, say, I love this story, like they're walking to the train station to buy a ticket and this homeless guy goes, uh, do you have anything? And all they have is the one coin they need for the train ticket. And yet they just trusted that, okay, well, this is the need in front of me. So I'm going to give what little I have, trusting that by the time I finish walking to the train station, yeah. God will supply. And of course, there's crazy stories of, stories of like God's not providing, yeah. which we've talked in the past yeah. about, you know, God being Jehovah Jireh. And yet the anticipation of like, well, Lord, you, I have to be on the train. I don't have any cash now. And then you turn around. And someone says, I, I don't understand why, but here's a coin. You know, it's, it's like what you need for the train. And it's just seeing God's provision. Yeah. And I love that that picture you give, just that endless aquifer of, mm -hmm. you know, because you don't see it, you have to trust that God will supply yeah. that he is, as we've talked about, Jehovah Jireh, that he's going to fill that up. Yeah. 
and supply that which which we need. Now, why is this such a hard principle for Eric Ludi? Since that's how we started out, why is this so hard? Well, I think it's probably hard for most people. Maybe <laughs> yeah. there's some weird character out there that's like, I love this, but it demands weakness. <clears throat> yeah. And there's nothing in me that craves weakness, and yet out of weakness, his strength is made perfect, as it says in 2 Corinthians. So what we see is this mindset, and we also see it in Hebrews 11. We see this idea that out of weakness, they were made strong, yeah. and it's a faith issue. And so when you believe God, when he takes you into the weak place, you rejoice. Why? When that puddle goes low, why would you rejoice? Because you know that he has supply. And so as a result, the and it grows your faith. So when that puddle fills back up, like it's done for me many times, it's funny that I still struggle with this, even though I have seen it maybe more than most people in our generation, right? I've seen God supernaturally supply. And yet it's still hard for me because the human side of me wants to have a, a reprieve from the weakness. It's like, okay, God, I've, I've learned weakness. And oh, we, we've got some good lessons you've taught me. How about we go with 10 years when, when, I, when I don't have any weakness? And yet God loves me too much. Yep. And so as a result, he will, even if I don't have a financial weakness in this season, he'll create a different weakness to keep me dependent because he knows mm -hmm. I represent his name. Amen. And he wants that humility. And he knows that his strength to work through me, it has to come through a weak vessel. And that's actually how God made us. He didn't make us to be independent of himself. He made Adam and Eve to be dependent. So even... Even before sin, what you see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that here's Adam and Eve who are dependent, leaning upon the strong arm of the Father. Or I love what Jesus says in the Beatitudes at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. It's not, when you look at the Greek, it's not you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. It's actually a congratulatory term where Jesus says, congratulations. Do you know how I made you? I made you poor in spirit. And you're like, I don't want that part. <laughs> and, and that word even there for poverty, it's interesting. There's several words in the Greek for poverty. And this isn't just mean like you're poor. This is like absolute destitute. Uh -huh. You're on the side of the street. You have the tin cane. You know, you're, you're shame, shame faced. So you're covering yourself. Yeah. And it's just, God, I'm, I'm absolutely impoverished. Yeah. And yet when you, when you realize that's how actually God made you, then you actually get to experience the kingdom yeah. because then you begin to rely upon the the reality, the life, the the supply, the grace of our King. And that's actually Christianity. It's yeah. not me trying to live my life for Jesus. It's somehow gathering with him, partnering with him, having intimacy with him and experiencing his life through my life. Or as you, as you even talking, just that experience his grace and strength in the midst of our weaknesses. Amen. It's beautiful. Well, the widow of Zarephath, is sort of the ultimate picture of mm. this because you have this weakened woman who lost her husband. She's a widow and she has a son and she's in the midst of a drought. Remember, uh, Elijah prays and the, uh, and the clouds are sealed, the sky is sealed, no rain for three and a half years. In the midst of this, God takes tells Elijah, the great prophet, to go to this woman and that this woman will supply for him. Okay, that is the most absurd idea. It's like if we were going to talk to God, it's like, God, okay, we could come up with a better plan than this. That widow has nothing. How could she supply for the mighty prophet in this hour? But that's God's plan. And it's that's us. Mm -hmm. we're, we're like that widow woman. And Elijah could almost symbolize the grand calling of the Christian. And it's like, well, I don't have what I need. At the very time Elijah shows up at her gates, she is 
she has one little bit of flour and one little bit of oil left. And she is going to prepare a cake that her and her, her son eat and die. In other words, they're just, they, they've lost all hope. It's in this drought. They have nothing. They have no provision. And if you're a widow in that time period, I mean, that's a hard, hard situation. And Elijah comes and he says, uh, I want you to make that cake for me. This is the ultimate test. And this is why I, I struggle. I guarantee I'm not the only one that struggles with this. But God, all I have is this little flour and this little oil left. Yeah, could you give that to me? Feed me first. It sounds very selfish on God's part, but he's actually setting us up for a miracle. You see, if you feed me first, your flour and your oil will never run out. You see, when we obey God and we step into that territory of weakness and let go of the little we have, we find supply. Of course, immediately following this, we're, well, not immediately, but in the storyline of Scripture, you're going to see that test on Mount Carmel of the prophets of Baal and and the first thing Elijah is going to do to prove that God is God is he's going to ask for barrels of water. Well, what were they short on in that time period? Water. They've had a drought for three and a half years. So the way I look at it is I want all the remaining water in Israel. You want water to return to Israel? Give up the little water you have. So all the barrels of water just dumped out on the altar of Jehovah mm. for him. We give the little we have to him and the outpouring of rain is magnificent. I think for all of us, we may feel like the widow at Zarephath, we don't have a lot, just like the little boy's lunch. But are we willing to take the little we have and set it before Jesus and let him feed the multitudes in and through it? Which I think is why this is heaven's greatest investment principle. Yep. Because you don't see it, and yet if you would invest it, if you would spend it, if you would give what little you had, uh, I, lo I love what you said in the past of, you know, a father comes home from work, he's absolutely exhausted, and now his kids want to play with him. And he's just like, I don't have time or energy. All I want to just do is just veg. You know, I just want to just relax. And yet what little energy he may have, if he would spend it upon his children, it's amazing how God, God supplies. God That's gives right. the grace That's that right. we need. And it really is a phenomenal principle that I really believe would change this world radically if we as believers... Uh, didn't fear the weakness and didn't fear the 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 lack, yeah. but began to spend and spill forth that which God has given us. Amen. Amen. It's a great truth. Well, before we leave, I just want to introduce you to this idea of our week-long training. If you haven't looked at any of our trainings before and you feel a little intimidated, like, well, I, I don't have time or the resources to come out for a, an extended period uh, of training. Well, we have put together a week-long training just for people like you who may not have the time or the resource uh, to spend a, a longer time uh, in discipleship. So if you're interested in growing in your spiritual life and really deepening your love for Jesus Christ and knowing how to study God's word and and actually see the 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 Christian life lived out practically, like how can we actually live this thing? Well, I would encourage you to check out our training programs. And we're just going to show you a quick media piece that introduces you to our week-long training. So until next time, God bless you. Our one-week training is sort of our cheater's way of helping all of you gain a foundation and get started in this grand epic adventure known as following after Jesus. And if there was ever a time in history where we need to be grounded and sound on the Word of God, boy, it's now. Our desire isn't to lead you to us, it's to lead you to Jesus. And so that you can take this hope of eternal life back to your home, to your church, to your family, and see them changed as well.
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.